good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Morning. Oh, I guess, yeah, like I said, it is. It's like eleven. We were trying to we were trying to figure out the time zone difference. <laughs> <laughs> we were coming all of this because all like my clocks went back, and then her clocks went back, and there was like it, it's caused so many issues for scheduling. Like not even just with this podcast, just for everyone else. Like like doing uh, lectures and teachings and stuff like that. Like trying to figure out the time differences for people because everyone's in different locations. It's been insane. But I guess it's, it's like eleven a.m. or something where you are now, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's like 11.06 right now. <laughs> yeah, but my, my computer, it should be 4.06. My computer's fast. That's interesting. Okay, I need to change that. But anyway, uh, so I mentioned the intro there. Uh, your main thing, I think, is Realm of Spirit, isn't it? So for those or for people who don't know you yet or haven't come across your work, how, like, where, where did you come from? Who are you? General sort of stuff. <laughs> where did I come from? Um... You, you mean like, uh, where did Realm of Spirit come from or where did I come from? Both. <laughs> let, let, let's okay. start with you and then let's get into Realm of Spirit. <laughs> sure. Um, so I call New England home. I've been practicing um, witchcraft and the occult for nearly 15 years. I started when I was about 12 years old uh, with Wicca. Uh, most people do in the Western world. And by the time I was 17, I deviated away from that and started exploring um, what's called the old craft. Um, it's all pre-Gardnerian stuff, uh, folk practices, if you will, um, mainly from the British Isles, Italy, France, like all the lands where my ancestors came from. I think it would just make sense for me to follow possibly what my ancestors would have followed, right? Um, and since then, I mean, I'm 25 now at the time of this interview. So um, yeah, since then I've been pretty solid on that path. Haven't really changed too much. I'm familiar with a lot of different magical traditions. I remember when I was first allowed to actually read books on the subject when I was about 13 or 14. Uh, one of the first books I read was by Israel Regardi, who's more in the ceremonial magic side of things. And um, yeah, so it just goes to show I've been pretty versed in a lot of things over the years I always encourage people to study whatever they can so mm. yeah so it's interesting you say uh I always ask uh whenever I have people who are interested in old craft on here I always like to ask what did you sort of find the differences because everyone like I said everyone tends to start with Wicca or people who sort of get it maybe a little bit deeper into the ceremonial style of magic they do start with Golden Dawn stuff and Regardi's stuff uh, but for you, what was sort of the differences that you noticed between Wiccan systems or the Gardnerian systems and the pre-Gardnerian systems? What was the difference between Wicca and Old Craft for you? I would say, um, I'm going to state a couple differences here. Um, first of all, a lot of the folk practices mm. are older. Some of them do bleed into Wicca because, you know, it had to come from somewhere, right, in the, in the 20th century when it was established. Um, and... Uh, traditional witchcraft isn't doesn't necessarily mean that it's older, but it's part of a body of practices within a culture. For example, um, Strigoneria would be the sorcery uh, folk practices um, in Italy. Benedicaria would be the Catholic um, Italian folk magic. That's just two different types there. And there's also another art called Segnatura, which is just the art of signs, which mm. um, Again, it's gestures, uh, gestures in use of magic. Um, and then, um, you know, French has their own. Um, Sweden has like their black book tradition. 
for example, I, I did read about that once. Hmm. And um, even in, even within England, like I noticed like a lot of the old craft, uh, it's very regional. That's another thing. Uh, Wicca isn't very regional. I feel like it's just a hat that anybody can wear. Hmm. Um, traditional witchcraft, uh, an element of it is um, diversity, especially in where you're coming from. Now, I know that the land spirits here in New England, where my area will probably be very different from the ones in Cornwall or uh, East Anglia, for example. So there's that element of diversity um, that definitely separates Wicca from the old craft. And some of the tools that they use are very different. Some of the titles that they use in groups are very different. Uh, Wicca, they have the high priestess and priest. Then in the old craft, they have like the magister, the magistra as like the leader. Uh, they have certain offices. That's one thing they have in common though, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. um, like the maid, things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's the same sort of, it's similar sort of imagery, like sort of the master, like the maid and the master or something like that. Yeah, um, but right. yeah, they're, they're interchanging sort of different things. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And I noticed another, um, difference between Wicca and the old craft. Um, the old craft sometimes has a dual faith system, meaning hmm. they take the religion that like their people converted to was presumably like a thousand or so years ago. Um, it was Christianity in Europe, of course. Um, we actually see that in the work of Jim McGarry. Uh, she wrote the Chama Salta, um, where the book of Psalms is used as a spell book hmm. in a way. Each psalm means something that it could be used and implemented in certain types of work. Um, whereas Wicca, it, there's not really any of that dual faith stuff. It's its own like religion, whereas like the old craft is a practice that can go with the religion of the region at the time. And um, think of it this way, people had to blend in to survive mm -hmm. back in the day. So that might have been another reason for the whole dual faith observance thing, but those are a couple of main differences that I noticed between Wicca and the old craft. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's really interesting actually you mentioned the dual faith because it, yeah, it, it's something you just don't you don't really see in a lot of modern practices in at all, really. Like it, it is something that does seem pretty confined to the traditional current as a whole. You know, and I think in a, in large part, especially since a lot of the neo pagan revivals, that does kind of seem to be. I don't know whether it's like a friction or like a, like a decisive or like a direction to move away and separate itself from Christianity. You know, it, it's that whole thing of like, it's, it does seem like witchcraft is moving more, at least in the minds of a lot of neo-pagan people, it's moving more to becoming a religion unto itself when historically it was more of a practice than an actual religion. I mean, this kind of brings up the other question, but like even for you, would you consider witchcraft a religion? Or a set of practices, like the old, or like the old craft as as a religion. Right, uh, that's a very good question. My answer to that generally is yes and no, mm. because in the element of religion, you have a sense of devotion, and at least in my path, there's a certain devotion to being a witch, being in tune with the spirits of your land, the spirits that you work with, and that's a that's a commonality between religion and spirituality is there's that element of otherness um, that you're devoted to. And that's the thing that I would say um, yes to, but also no, because again, there's diversity in, you know, where, where you're practicing it from, the culture of your land, 
you know, so it isn't as dogmatic as like, you know, the Christianity has like the 10 commandments and things like that. We don't really have that in the old craft. Yeah, it's not, so it's not that's fair. why I say yes and no to it being kind of like a religion, but also not at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, it almost makes it in a way, I think it almost makes it more accessible if it's not a religion, you know, because when people come in, like a lot of the time when I see people coming out of Christianity into witchcraft or into other faiths and things like that, one of the things that consistently always comes up is people say, oh, it, it, it's easier to get into because it's so integrative. Like you can just integrate it and bring it in on, on, on top of or underneath whatever thing you're already practicing. And it's just, it, it can take, or you can go an extra step with something and it's so syncretic as well. Like it adapts to all of the regional variations. And that's one of the things that really defines it. I think as well as traditional crop it's so regional what you were saying right yeah of course yeah syncretism is pretty important um and i would think that there's like i said um with the italian craft um benedictoria that's another example of dual faith observance that i've mm -hmm. seen in the umbrella term we use it in the sense old craft even though benedictoria is more catholic but you're still doing magic. You're just employing a different higher power. That's all, you know, mm. you're employing the saints and God and Mary and all these other things, but they don't really have much to do with like the old ones, as we would call it, like the, the horn God, uh, the witch mother, she who spins, spins the threads of fate, cuts our cords at life and death, mm. you know, um, so that's just another example that I've noticed personally. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting to me as well. Uh, well, it, it's also kind of funny, like how fiercely Christianity tends to deny magic. But if you look at anything like Catholic masses or anything like that, like a lot of major Christian rituals, they are they well, they at least in the in a general sense, they follow the same structure as a lot of rituals, and that and we find that in in the ceremonial tradition as well. In that a lot of the ceremonial grimoires are written by Christian priests, right? Mm -hmm. They're written by members of the clergy historically and if you want to put yourself in the mind of a magical practitioner in the middle ages you were probably some variation of catholic right or some variation of some denomination of christianity in some kind of way and they do still kind of use that same magical ritual structure to things even if it just it depends on what entity you're petitioning a lot of the time yeah exactly and another thing i've noticed when reading and comparing um ceremonial magic with um, folk magic. Now, I don't like really using high, low magic. I, un I understand why the distinctions are used, mm. but they're both means to achieve an end. You know, whether or not you're using a puppet doll or you're having some elaborate circle ritual to uh, call upon an angel or, or a demon, whatever the case may be, it's really interesting. Also, um, priests could read and study and summon these types of creatures, but yet a poor old woman in a little village who can't even read if she would even try doing that she'd be the one punished for it that that's yeah. just really interesting to me <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's worse yeah all right well it's um because it, it really makes you question the whole narrative of the witch trials you know especially all, all the witches that are all you know since the vast majority were generally more female anyway like there were men uh, executed for witchcraft um but they were historically mostly more women uh and 
it, especially where I get really interested in the whole witch trials thing is if you look at the different versions or just the different regions of witch trials. The early modern Scottish witch trials are so interesting to me because you have people like Gaudi, or like Isabel Gaudi, and like Andre Mann, all those kinds of people. And Gaudi, especially, I, I, I seem to remember she actually was like a like she voluntarily came forward and confessed as a witch. Like she never, there's no indication that she underwent torture or anything like that. And yeah. there does sort of seem to be this continuing idea of the fairy faith. Mm -hmm in this present in a lot of the sim a lot of similar trial accounts that some of them weren't even tortured they were just like, they, like some of these are like hundreds of years apart and they're recounting the same ideas right yeah exactly like um i am right near uh, local to where the salem witch trials happened i mm. actually lived in salem for about a year and a half because i went to school up there went to uni um and even in school that was like the big witch trial event in history that's like pushed on us, we're educated about it. Um, there's so many museums up there about the witch trials, like Salem Witch Museum. Mm. Um, they even recreated like the, the Salem Witch Village. Um, they actually have events in the Salem Witch Village or is it the Pioneer Village? I don't remember. But they had like a really big event there for Halloween recently. It was like a night market or something, which is really cool. Um, but interesting, uh, I've actually been getting into my own genealogy and mm. um, I've learned that I am a direct blood descendant of uh, Rebecca Town, Rebecca Nurse. She was a poor old lady who was an upstanding member of Salem Village, and she was accused and killed. Um, mm. And I, I don't really think that the people in Salem were actually witches. There's yeah. just no way. Um, I think it was just a lot of hysteria. Um, and there was one man killed. He was pressed to death at Giles Curry. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, yeah, it's just really interesting that we're talking about witch trials, and I happen to be doing my own genealogy, and then mm. seeing that, um, yeah, it's just wild, and even 20 years, I think it was 20 years, sometime before the Salem witch trials, there was a case of Elizabeth Knapp, she was known as the witch of Groton, but more than anything, it was a possession case, mm. um, she was this teenage girl sent to um a reverend's house to work as a maid and then she started behaving really weird she started having fits almost like an episode of like she'd be screaming like four men had to hold her down at times and some people even today think that she might have just been a typical teenage girl wanting to avoid her responsibilities but there's more to it. We don't even know what happened to Elizabeth Knapp, her fate, uh, because she did give these confessions to the doctor or priest that was like treating her. He took a very humanistic approach at the time. And later on, I, I forget what his I forget what his name was, but he also was featured in the Salem trials and he used her case to explain what was happening to the girls when they were having their fits and when they were accusing townspeople of being witches um yeah her case is really interesting when I was doing more of my research and um even in Massachusetts um uh, during those times we had the harshest laws against mm. witchcraft we killed yeah. more people for being witches it was it, it's insane a couple New Hampshire had a couple Connecticut had witch trials like going on and off for like 20 years it, just the history here is just wild with witch trials. Mm. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, well, I, I think that like a large part of it probably is, is the Puritan background to the whole thing. Because like the Puritans are like they're sort of very aggressively against witchcraft as, as in opposition to sort of the Catholics, where a lot of the time they just like a lot of the uh, especially even during the patristic period, you know, the Catholic attitude towards witchcraft and magic is it's not as hostile as from what I've seen. It does seem so a bit more syncretic, whereas the Puritans were very much kind of. Catholics are evil completely, and then also there's witchcrafts as well, which is just as bad. There's like it's interesting, like a lot of the Massachusetts and Boston area, you know, that they were sort of very heavily Puritan, right? And that sort of I think guess contributed to the energy of the whole place. Oh, big time, big time. In fact, now that you're mentioning the opposition between Puritanical views and Catholicism, I'm remembering that there was an Irish woman in Boston in that time who was killed. She was pretty much, it was just for being Catholic, but mm. she was accused of witchcraft because she had idols on her. And in Puritan, Massachusetts, that was a big no-no. You mm. did not carry that stuff around. Um, and yeah, she'd also spoke Gaelic at the time. That was her first language. And they thought she was speaking in tongues. Yeah. Just out of pure <laughs> ignorance. They, I was like, just leave the girl alone. That's her yeah. language. <laughs> yeah oh no it's 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 one of the, i mean i'd be curious even even for you so having sort of lived there and around there what is there like a definitive feeling to the energy of the place like it does, does the land still carry that kind of you know that kind of feeling to it or as it sort of transmuted by this point i'd say it's quite the opposite i'd say salem is much more tolerant now and i feel like it's kind of capitalized on its history uh, mm. as a tourist attraction which of course it is. Um, I, I do find it really nice that they've just turned it all around and made it an accepting place for mm. people who practice magic, including witches. Um, mm. It's ironic in a way, too, um, where something so bad happened. Now it's like, okay, okay, witches, now you're welcome here. Let's go. Come and get your supplies here. We're like one of the only places in New England where you can get it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it does sometimes uh feel alien like mm. there at least for me like i feel like an alien sometimes walking through salem because the main the main portrayal is wicca the branches of wicca as um the predominant practices there but you know it's another story for another time but overall i i think it's mostly turned itself around and it's not even just accepting of witches but all walks of life and i i think it's a really good change from mm. what was there mm. yeah i don't know it's, it's, it's um it reminds me because i i was at well, i was over in east anglia last month because i was in um like culture like colchester castle uh, and they have they had sort of a similar thing like a, like colchester castle was the, like one of the big areas where a lot of the at least in some of the witch trials around that kind of area in east anglia a lot of the witches were sent or a lot of people accused of witchcraft at least were sent and they were sort of that was their jail effectively that like, they were held in colchester castle and they've got on they've created like an entire witchcraft exhibit in, in inside the castle to talk about like all the different people who were there all the kinds of things they were accused of practicing and they even have like different kinds of artifact that they had a like a wax replica of um john d's scrying stone or like uh, his like wax tablet oh, wow. and stuff like that it's like they, they're really going all out and like making these weird like, museums of witchcraft and they're like putting them weirdly in places where traditionally all the witches were tried or they were all like hidden like like thrown out in jail and everything and it's just such an interesting reversal 
but like all these places that had this really you know all like terrible things happen that they're kind of reclaiming it as museums of witchcraft in general like it's like a theme that i've noticed in a couple of places now which is really funny to me but oh yeah i've noticed i'm not i haven't been to england before but it is definitely on my bucket list to visit at least a couple times in my life um like the Salem Witch Museum here and the witch museums like in Salem, they're mostly just focused on trials. And then in, at the end of the exhibit at the Salem Witch Museum, um, I went when I was in fifth grade, so I'm kind of going off memory here. Um, it was basically how they're portrayed today in the media. And then again, they just talked a little bit again. But then in the other uh, museums that from what I've seen, like in, Boss Castle, the ones in the UK, they actually have real artifacts. I think there's one in the US. It's not around here. I think it's mm. somewhere, but they have like all these different artifacts that belonged to witches. Uh, they, were, they were either donated to the museum or after they passed away, it was bequeathed to them. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting that there are those types of museums around where people can actually get a real sense of how it's all actually done trials aside mm. yeah because i think like the well the most the most famous one that we've seen is probably like Gem, the one that Gemma gary talks about a lot which is the cornish museum of witchcraft that's the one like a lot of people know about and like if you if you type it in on like google images or whatever and you see all of all of the like the tools and everything that are on there they i think i think in in that one they even have like uh i don't know if fossilized is the right word but like they have like toads and stuff that have been preserved and, and stuff like oh, that yes. magic and stuff um which is just it's, it's insane to me like that we have the, that kind of material still around and like I, in theory it's still carrying some element of the energy of it right but yeah it's really interesting also in the old craft when you mentioned the mummified totes yeah um, using uh it, it's a very animistic approach um we're kind of circling back to the first question there mm. um it's no it's good it's good though. it's good it's good to go in there we can get into it yeah, it's definitely more animistic, I would say. Um, not Because again, when you're interacting with the spirits of your land, you're interacting with them both alive and dead. Um, mm -hmm. There's like that toad bone ritual, which is bad for the toad. It's very painful mm -hmm. for them. But then when you get the toad bone, you're said to communicate with all types of beasts um, in the world. Um, I would also think that it applies to beasts on the other side as well, uh, that we cannot physically see or most people cannot physically see um but even the use of bones feathers remnants really just adds that extra dimension to our rituals and um, in fact for scrying i will definitely share this i have a white rabbit pelt that i put my scrying stone on top of or um, crystal ball whatever it, mm. i'm using at the time and it really just helps me attune with that otherness. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read about um, the the compass, the circle of art. Like each cardinal direction mm. has a animal associated with it, um, and then the rabbits associated with earth. And it's and you all notice like all the animals, like the snake, the crow, the rabbit, the toad. They're all betwixt. And that's also a characteristic of the witch is familiar. They have to be betwixt realms in nature. They either are living in water and earth or in the case of birds, all three. So they have to mm. perch on something solid. If they're not 
um, flying. And then some birds like swans, they swim too. You know, mm. that's, it's a very interesting aspect. But yeah, um, utilizing that energy from the rabbit. Uh, what's the what's the correct word for it? I'm, I'm trying to think of it. In, incorporating the spirit of the rabbit, in a sense, into your scrying, it attunes you to the underworld as well as the world up here. Yeah. And for scrying, that's really important when you're, um, especially talking with spirits, because again, you know, the underworld is where we ultimately put our dead, we, we bury them in there, you know, mm. uh, that's, I actually had some, had that happen recently where a spirit came to me while I was scrying. And um, that's another thing, just over time, it's just gotten more and more prevalent with me, spirit mm. work. And it was something I was absolutely afraid of. But now yeah. that I'm owning it, it's, it's amazing that I'm owning it. And when you own things like that, you learn more, you're able to just come into your capabilities and power so much more. So um, yeah, that was just a little side comment about the, <laughs> the animals and the animistic nature of witchcraft as a whole. Mm. Yeah, well, no, there's, there's, so many good, there's so many good nuggets in here. We, we could unpack all of these. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's like one of the things that even even hold true for me that even I noticed when I started my practice or I just started practicing, especially in old craft, is there's really kind of like there, there's two ways that, you know, spirit experience can generally happen. Either, you know, they will either come to you like randomly at different times or you go to them pretty much. And it's interesting that even then, even in, again, going back to the witch trial accounts, a lot of the witches that are accused when they talk about their familiar and, they, and they're getting a familiar the way they describe it a lot of the times is just as like they're doing something random like they're not even they don't they don't seek them out like there is this this weird air of just the devil or like the, the cunning figure or whatever appears or a familiar appears at some random point in their life and they come and do it but other ones that or the other way of doing it is you actively seek it out and then the more you actively seek it out and step into that role the more the random occurrences start happening and the more things always start happening and then it just amps up and up and up and up but it always starts with that sort of initial reach out for most people like that initial thing of saying okay there's something here i'm going to try this you know like i want to step into this whatever it is but stepping into stepping into anything or taking that first initial step is what sort of starts the ball rolling with a lot of these things right oh yes i can definitely agree i noticed with the spirit world um even if you're communing with ancestors that don't even speak the same language as you mm. like i i speak italian and a little french so i can talk to some of my ancestors in the language that they spoke in their life um mm. and even further back I, I probably got some that speak anglo-saxon i don't know any anglo-saxon but the point is your actions speak louder than the words you're putting mm. down the offerings, you're doing things on your part in the physical world that show that you really want to step into this, that you really want to attract something. And that's another dimension to magic is um, not just wanting it in thought, but acting on it. Mm. it. Even when you talk to another person, you know, your actions always speak louder than your words. And that's very important in magic too. Mm. Um, especially when you're making packs or, or anything like that, you know, you have to honor your end of the deal. I know packs are a totally different thing than uh, spirit just coming to you, um, which it, it, it does happen. 
Um, in fact, um, I will actually share an experience here of oh. something that happened about a year and a half ago. So I unfortunately had a hate crime happen in my town and it was terrible. Two people died. Mm. Um, and the one of them did come to me a couple days after the fact that it happened. And I had passed by the site where it happened a couple of times. Um, basically part of it, a, a building got demolished. It was like a small house, but it, it's not even there anymore. It's like all rubble mm. still. It needs to be cleaned up. And there were memorials on the fence there for months after the fact. She came to me. She was very lost. I think she attached to me or something. And I immediately went to my altar to communicate with her. I was like, hey, so where's your family? Um, you know, where's your family? And she's like, oh, it's in a town sort of next to where I'm living. I was like, you know, this is really traumatic what happened to you. I know that this was unexpected. Also, you know, you didn't expect to have your life ripped away from you, but part of your journey now is to go forward to your family, look over your kids, like watch over them. And, you know, you're going to find a lot of comfort in that. I know you can't physically hug them or anything. And then um, when she was laid to rest about a week later after this, it stopped. So that was an example of definitely coming towards mm. me. And like, I didn't call her, I didn't call her up or anything. She, she was just there. Mm. Yeah, and, and I suppose like, like, did you? Because you, because you didn't know her personally, right? No, like, I did not like, know her personally. No. Nope. Hmm. So I guess like it would just be like, did you find out after like, where, like she came to you, and then for like you were having this experience, and then you sort of found out afterwards that it was like, like you looked into it and found out that it was her, and then like sort of looked everything into everything. Or I kind of knew that it was her because hmm. again, I passed by the site of her death yeah. a couple of times, and. In my experience, sometimes spirits will who died like that, like they'll hang around where they died before they move on to a, another place. Mm. Um, not necessarily like crossing over, but I, I like to view the world, uh, spirit world and the physical world is like on top of each other. Mm. Um, in fact, the ancient Celtic people viewed it this way. Um, they're pretty much one and the same. So if they're like around where they died and then it's kind of like walking away or floating away or whatever to, to another place could be to their family could be to some passerby um yeah that that's pretty much what i um was saying there but i i, I had a feeling it was her mm -hmm. um didn't feel like a man you know i was like i was like okay um let's let's talk you know mm -hmm. yeah it's it's i remember because i i had another podcast a while ago with um Kerry, Kerry Wisner, uh, and he is incredible. I love Kerry. Um, he's awesome. Yeah, he's so funny. But we were, we were having this whole conversation about working with spirits, or like just just like accepting and, and allowing spirits to come to you, that kind of thing. And it's I think it's always one of the things that, especially beginner witches or sort of people who are brand new to this kind of faith or this kind of practice, it's one of the things they get fear the most. Like, and I think it's yes. natural to a certain extent because it's so in mainstream society or sort of mainstream like regular religious practice there is a very definitive line between like here's the living here's the dead or here's the seen and the unseen and it's here whereas when we're in this kind of practice then the lines are very much more blurred so it, it's exactly. like for us 
it's 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 kind of a lot uh it's kind of almost common it's like it's it's just kind of the natural law of things it's like this is fine like people who are brand new to this kind of practice they're always like oh i don't want to work with spirits it's like well it's not really like how witchcraft works you kind of just need to go with this you know you can only go so long without doing something for example um I remember there was a phase in my practice in the very beginning. I'm like, I'm never going to do a curse in my life. Well, sometimes you do have to get your hands dirty. You know, I like Mm. to say God gave you two hands, a left and a right one. You know, and, you know, one time, like sometimes you have to pat someone on the back. Another one, you got to smack them in the face with it. You know, it's, it's duality and you know, being a witch means being betwixt, being betwixt those things, having that balance within yourself of light and dark knowing what to use when to use it if it's necessary it it's a huge responsibility and a lot of new practitioners don't realize that and it's only something that they can realize in time the longer that they're on this path which you know if they're really destined to be on be in it for the long haul and they have a natural aptitude for it they will learn eventually that this is not a walk in the park this is a responsibility Hmm. Yeah, yeah it's 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 one i agree actually because it's interesting cause it's something that you you don't you don't see in like wiccan circles at all like because you have the you have the rule of three you have valiente's stuff who's sort of saying you know whatever you know well usually usually is the rule of three or some or the read like so the wiccan reads like that it's like yeah you can't do any curses like never do curses witchcraft is only for white magic whatever blah, blah, blah. and it's like you're missing that sense of liminality a lot of the time like you need it's a requirement for you to be between both you know because it's not in a way it's almost like toxic positivity coming over the oh, top of it, oh geez, you know, yeah. which is horrible it's just, I, i'm talking about this on other podcasts all the time because almost everyone i talk about seems to hate the positivity i'm either here for it i'm like yes just dismantle the whole thing i love it um but people just like then yeah, like they're missing that sense of liminality that's so vital to witchcraft you know or, or just any kind of, sort of this any of this kind of faith like it like even then you, we, we've mentioned being betwixt as like a defining element of the witch and uh, betwixt is that sense of liminality right it, it's that there's yes. a space but that's not a space or a space between or anything like that like exactly, yeah. yeah exactly um you're definitely in between you know every day that you are alive on this earth as a witch you have one foot in this realm and another foot in the other, you know, things are going to come to you. Things unexpected are going to happen unexplained. Um, I would say uh, the whole unexplained thing is for those who don't know how to practice or don't know anything about it, but they just happen to be around someone who does. Hmm. And then they're like, Oh my God, why, why did that just happen? I can't explain this. And then sometimes they like fear and misunderstanding it in the way. Um, I actually was on my Instagram story yesterday. Um, one of my friends had posted about spiritual workers telling people, uh, Oh yeah, you're cursed or whatever, which is a common thing, which I'm like, it's like, do you even, it's like, do you even know how curses work? Like if you're actually going out saying that to people, it's like you really don't know how magic works do you you're just feeding into the fear and misunderstanding that a lot of people have and um we're trying to just avoid that thank you yeah <laughs> yeah i've noticed it because like, oh you, you see it on, on instagram all the time you know people were like especially people who are like oh yeah i can tell your curse pay me whatever much and i'll uncurse you that kind of like sort of like the weird counter curse witchcraft it's like okay are you sure? I'm. Mean, I'm really not buying into this whole thing, but it does raise an interesting question, actually, because I remember 
I was in my community the other day and so uh, one of my one of my students asked me an interesting question but because you see all that stuff so much what even for you in your own practice what is one of the ways where you can sort of really tell if you have or haven't like or if you have been cursed you know if there is some kind of magical thing that's affecting you like because i block but block we can have energetic blocks or, or physical emotional blocks right all kinds of days and i generally kind of take the approach of whatever is causing the block needs to be the energy that can fix it so if it's an emotional issue with things and you need to work out your own emotions if it's a physical thing whatever but and then if it is you know worst case scenario if it is a, like an actual magical thing or someone has sent a spirit against you then it needs to be counteracted with magic right or you need to counteract it with another spirit but i mean for you what is like some of the ways you can tell if that is what's going on in a situation right so this is a pretty tricky question because curses are very complex yeah and they require a lot of skill to successfully lay um you can have all the hate anger frustration in the world while doing a curse but if you don't know how to direct it what are you doing? You're only stabbing yourself in the foot, yeah. right? Um, so I would say, well, I like to actually um, categorize a baneful magic in like three categories. Um, even one, I don't even use this term, uh, jinx, uh, mm. jinx, jinxing conditions, crossing, um, doesn't usually last very long. Hexes even don't last very long. In fact, the onset of hexes are usually fast they burn like fire they're very martial um mm. and they 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 hit you like a truck but it doesn't last very long i'd say maybe mm. like a couple weeks or a couple months curses are slow to start and then once they hold on to you they feed on you they um the mostly they feed on your fear that's it's kind of a conundrum because that's kind of causing the conditions for you to feel afraid and then you're mm. more afraid and they're that's like what feels the first to work yeah um so and they do tend to they can last years curses uh definitely not something to do lightly yes i'm looking at you tiktok i see so many of them on there I, uh, the hex the hex positivity movements on there are absolutely insane it's me. like it's very misguided and there are always other ways to solve your problems but um, signs of being cursed from like from my experience would be um, a very long time of bad conditions not ending. Like there's no end in sight. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another. Um, in the case of a house or an object, uh, sometimes things, uh, houses, objects um, can be uh, directed with baneful, magic or whatever you might call it um it could actually like the house could actually be uh, inhabited by residual energy of mm. a spirit who like somebody who lived there it could bleed into um for example your fridge not working and it's brand new and you spend like four thousand dollars on the new fridge and it just dies in a couple of months um or just things not working around the house. If you have pets around, they're barking in midair. That's just usually signs of a spirit inhabiting a house, which that's more common than a curse. Um, and another thing with curses could be uh, ailing health that just does not seem to end. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. 
And the tricky thing with that is um, the age of the person that think that they have a curse on them. If they're older, they're more likely to probably be sick or uh, become infirm over time. It doesn't mean that they're cursed. Maybe they're just, it's a matter of age. It's a matter of how they took care of themselves um, or any genetics that might make them more likely to have a certain condition. You know, it is a very tricky question to answer. Yeah. How to know if somebody actually is cursed sometimes there are ways to see whether or not it's it's the case i've actually had a couple of my clients uh, come to me during readings asking me if they're cursed and i have to give them the same talk all the time i'm like it's not likely that you're cursed in fact you're more likely to be hit by friendly fire than actually have a curse hmm. or any of these other things i just talked about happening by friendly fire i mean like you're a jerk to other people chances are they're going to be a jerk to you um, every action has an opposite or equal reaction which is a different take on that whole threefold law thing yeah i definitely believe in personal cost everything it, nothing in life is free everything has a cost to it even if you're trying to heal somebody you know mm -hmm. wh where are you going to take that um uh, healing power from like how is it going to get replenished sometimes it, it takes it out of you quite literally you as the practitioner so that the other mm. person gets better mm. um you know it's just the way of nature and the universe and everything that we know balancing itself out that's what personal cost is um for those new that don't really know what it's all about but yeah um i hope i was able to answer that question and not go on too much of a tangent <laughs> <laughs> no it's great i think it, it, i think it's useful you know in general like we have a wide I, I think there's a wide audience that tends to listen to these things like some people are like brand new beginners some people are more experienced so it depends and that's, that's the whole point of doing it you know the, the, like we can have the tangents we can have different kinds of questions on there and that kind of thing which is always really fun yeah uh, but it's it is interesting as well because like you i don't know this idea of sort of a natural flow or a natural harmony of things where there is a natural cost to everything i think it is such an important thing to focus on because when you see in sort of more mainstream you know spirituality circles like new agey kind of stuff they tend to take that whole thing of oh well you know there's just constant abundance everywhere and just infinite love and light or whatever and that's where if i'm healing you it's just infinite and abundance it doesn't drain anything so i will know that yeah. has to come from somewhere yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work like that for example like um running water where mm. is it coming from it's coming to your sink from somewhere and how is it getting replenished on the other side in the reservoir? You know, it, it, it's not just going to come out midair. You know, it, it's another thing. Um, uh, energy cannot be just destroyed or created. It just changes form. Mm. And the mystery as to how it was created like billions and billions of years ago during the Big Bang, that's just a mystery to us because we were not around back then, mm. you know. So that's another thing I just wanted to bring up. Side note. Yeah, no, it's it, it's interesting as well. Um, because like, yeah, the different almost. I mean, this is it sparked in my mind in another sort of interesting conversation that I heard about. Because um, I was I was reading. I can't, I can't remember who I can't remember who it was the other day actually. Uh, but somebody was talking about like, just the difference between sort of mythic time and written time in in witchcraft or in practice in general where it's like you have uh what should we say like you have like traditional history like written history uh but then also there is this idea in some other sort of witchcraft circles of this idea of the dreaming or the dream time or like the mythical yes. time as well yes. where it's like it's a constant there is like or when you look at the concept of time it's an overarching thing that we can tap into so it's like every present 
every past moment is a hidden present moment that you can tap into. It's like even when you look into all of the different witch trial accounts again, it's like that kind of material. And this kind of, I guess, in a way links to how we connect with entities or spirits, especially if working with different deities, right? But they're like the, the material surrounding a certain thing by engaging with it we can connect to that kind of time period, you know, and then that kind of energy that's surrounding that through this kind of mythic time in general. But I wonder what your take is on it, if you've seen anything. Yeah, of course. Um, so you're mentioning um, dreams, which I'm more than acquainted with. In fact, yeah. that's actually how I learned about my own psychic gifts. Um, I would dream about someone the next day I would see them. Mm. And at the time, I was like, this has never happened before now. Ever since I was a kid, I've had very vivid dreams. Mm. But not. But up until that point, I had never had anything where I was like, oh, my God, I saw you in my dream last night. Or this happened in my dream last night. Um, it's interesting because I recently read a book that is about lucid dreaming. Mm. And sometimes you can set intentions before sleep. And that's I, I give a lot of crap to an the idea of intention and magic, mm. but when it comes to dreaming where you're only using your mind and your consciousness, it's a different story. Um, you can actually ask yes or no questions before sleep and then wake up with an answer. Um, whenever you wake up, even if it's in the middle of the night and you're just jotting down the dream, uh, it's a bit more difficult though, because you have to analyze the symbols of the dream um, as favorable or unfavorable to determine if it's a yes or no. Sometimes it's not a yes and a no. It's more gray than black and white. Mm. Um, but yeah, like sometimes I, I had these recurring dreams a couple of months ago, actually, where it was broad daylight. Now, in the physical world, it was dark. It was nighttime, broad daylight in a cemetery. I could see everything. Uh, and it, and it kind of goes to show... Um, is this astral projection happening if I'm going to another part of the world where it is bright outside, mm. you know, um, which astral projection is, uh, can be, can happen in sleep during certain states of consciousness. And in the book I read, I also saw that when we are in very deep sleep and we're able to perceive that it's almost this exact same brain waves as you and I are having right now during this mm. interview conscious because when we're conscious, we have perception. I can perceive everything in this room. I can perceive the screen. I can perceive that you're there. Um, same thing when, if I would be having a dream of this, you know, it, it might look a little different, hmm. but it's still the same idea. Yeah. It's consciousness and deep sleep. It's really the only two stages of sleep that that can happen. And um, it, it's interesting also like with um, witch trial confessions like Isabel Gaudi, she talked about um, lying to the Sabbath. You know, that was another thing in these confessions where um, these accused people would fall asleep and they'd be in these very deep, deep dream states that these would happen. You know, they meet the devil in their dreams. Mm. They meet a man in black. They will see certain animals be in certain environments in their sleep see circles of people in their sleep you know that's another dimension that a lot of people actually seem to forget when analyzing these accounts of confessions mm. so dream time the dream world is a gateway into that and um another thing that definitely def would need to be spoken about more in depth when talking about the old craft for sure mm. 
Yeah, because like even with that, even with the whole witch's Sabbath thing, like there are so many different interpretations of what it is, you know, or, or like how that's supposed to happen. Like I think um it was it Margaret Murray when she was doing all her witchcraft hypothesis, she sort of came up with that famous one of oh well they're all just kind of like tripping on like ergot fungus or whatever it is. Oh, like, but it's like it's not yeah, I mean I no, don't get me wrong. I I I like Mari as an academic. Like she's funny to me, but right. like, her stuff is just a bit out there for me. I can't I can't like stomach all of it all the time anymore. Um, but it's, yeah, like I I I've always I don't know, I've always kind of it, it makes more sense to me almost that a lot of like a lot of maybe not all of it, but a lot of the witch a lot of the Sabbath accounts where these people are you know interacting in different kinds of states. It does kind of seem more accurate to say that it was probably some kind of dream state they were in they were interacting with each other in dream states and it's because you know th this kind of theme comes up even in other cultures like even in certain indigenous cultures like it's, it, it, yes. it comes up in like the african diaspora and it's also found in some indigenous amazonian culture i think the I, I think it's the ashwa tribe i can't remember exactly which one it is um well they're like these there are these like dream uh, tribes where like they have they have developed this technique of like lucid dreaming effectively to such an extent where they can you know actively communicate via dreams in general and it's such an interesting thing where even like i don't know if it's if it's found in the witch trial accounts exactly but there are other other accounts mainly mainly from the african diaspora like even anthropologists studying this kind of stuff where it's like there'll be a person or like a witch in one village who has a dream experience and goes and talks to a witch in another village and we'll go and interview the other one and they'll be like she'll know everything that happened so like, there is this kind of objectively verifiable account of uh like dream activity happening like on like different levels something like that that happens and it's some it's something that i think a lot of people underestimate the value of in most craft it's not so, like you said it's, it's not something that's talked about enough i don't think Exactly. And it expands your consciousness when you're aware of your dreams and what they mean. Mm. And you can have like dream dictionaries and things like that. Uh, my my mom, her mom, they all did dream interpretation as, as a thing. And um, like my mom still has like her dream uh, dictionary that she looks at every so often. And I have my own. But it, the only drawback with just using a dream dictionary would be you know, the thing is dreams mean different things to all mm. of us. Um, like for example, an Italian dream interpretation, dreaming of a scorpion is usually a bad sign. But for me, I'm like, yeah, but a scorpion means something else. You know, that could, that interpretation could just be based off of fear or misunderstanding around the creature. Yeah. And you know, I, it I could just like mean a need to protect yourself because that's what the stinger is there for, right? That's a yeah. symbol. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose because like scorpions also aren't common in, in Italy. So it's just, it's something that's like, you know, something so foreign to them. Whereas if you're living in like, you know, I don't know, southwestern United States or like the Middle East or whatever, where scorpions are more common, you know, and you can see them more often, you're going to have maybe more of a familiar connection with that kind of totem or that kind of animal or anything like that. So it's not going to be something scary. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and it's interesting. Another, um, aspect of the Salem witch trials was um, like spirit flight. Like a lot of the people that were accused were accused of being out of their bodies at the time they were said to torment like the girls yeah. or whoever in the village. So it's interesting that that also comes up. And then the accused are like, no, that wasn't, that wasn't me. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was literally just asleep. Mm. Like, and again, there's that whole fear and ignorance thing coming out. So um, it's interesting that that comes up with um, 
that too, you know, um, it's that idea of betwixt again, you know, we're in a physical bodies, but in our dreams, we could be in a totally different state of mind, not even in the same room, even, mm. you know, or maybe able to look down at ourselves when we're sleeping. It's mm. very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like the, now that you mentioned it, actually, I, I haven't thought about it before, but yeah, dreaming is kind of the perfect kind of betwixt state, you know, because your, your body, you're like one element of things is in this world, one element of things is in the other. And whatever, and however you describe or how you define the dream world, because I know people define it in different ways. Like some people have defined it as like the mental state, so it's like it's it's its own realm in opposition to the spirit or spirit realm, and then and the physical. Or some people just go all the way and say, well, dreaming is entirely, you know, us going into some other kind of spiritual place or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know because like one of the things that uh, you were you were talking about astral projection a little bit before. Um, but for you, is there is there like a, a line difference between when someone is, is just direct dreaming versus when someone is actually having an OBE? Are they sort of the similar kind of, they're all like the same thing for you? Uh, for me, the main difference is if you're out of body in your sleep, you can physically touch your surroundings. Like mm. um, I remember five years ago, maybe I was in very deep sleep. And I was walking around the lobby of my old work, able to touch things, and it was nighttime. Hmm. Um, so nighttime, obviously I'm sleeping nighttime in the dream. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I was out of body last night, um, touching things in the lobby of my work. Uh, <laughs> that was just one personal example <laughs> to answer your question. Yeah, no, because it, it, it reminds me of one of the things, um, like one of the ways it was explained to me, and this is like one of the ways that I've always done it, um, in terms of like how you check yourself why you like fact check yourself if you're having an OBE or not it's like when you come back from the experience and you remember it over the next morning or if you wake up in the middle of the night when you look back on what you remember about it it will feel like a like a concrete memory rather than something that you visualized you know if you're kind of like a lot of the time I've also seen some of them like my more like abstract dreams that I've experienced they do when I think back on them they feel more like visualizations that i've done in a meditation whereas if i'm coming in for like looking at an open like an actual obe where i look back on it it's like i can remember it in the same way i remember like a childhood event or the same way i remember a conversation like it's something that physically happened to me and i can oh, like, there's a difference in that kind of me like memory yeah so sometimes in dreams um we can dream of past events you dream of the future. Um, that's another distinction between being out of body or just dreaming is the sense of time that you have in your dream. Uh, mm. Sometimes when you're out of body, the uh, setting or, or like the time of day will line up to when you're sleeping. Um, sometimes you'll be in a totally other place where it is daytime. Like you know, I was talking about my cemetery, cemetery dreams earlier in the interview. Um, whereas when you're in just a regular dream state there's also a sense of fantasy attached to mm. it uh, things that would never happen in real life things don't make sense you might even have godzilla in your dream which that doesn't that would never happen out of body but um but yeah i'm actually gonna have to end the interview i just wanted yeah. to let you know um but i didn't know if uh, you had any other like questions yeah, no, no. Um, we could start wrapping up. It's absolutely fine. Um, I appreciate all the time you can give. Yeah. Uh, but then, okay, in that case, as a as an ending thing, if there is is there anything uh, you want to share in terms of like social links or like what you're up to? Because I know we didn't, uh, we didn't talk too much about realm of spirit, but I know like because you, I, th I think you do like professional dream interpretation and tarot and stuff like that, right? I do. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, if you're curious about my services and what I offer, visit um, my website at www.realmaspirit.com. I also have links to my social medias on there. Um, I often post content uh, relating to witchcraft, magic, the occult, um, all things mysterious, as <laughs> normal people would call it. Um, and yeah, um, definitely... Uh, follow me on there and it's been wonderful being able to interview on this podcast thank you very much chris for having me thanks so much for coming on of course all right i'll let you go of course have a great day you too bye-bye